All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a special edition of Talking Yanks Sharp Stats. Myself, John Boy, Jake, and Katie Sharp will be bringing you the sharpest stats. Well, Katie will be bringing you the sharpest stats. Jake will be bringing you his butter knife stats. And I'm probably to give some stupid baseball reference quiz along the way. You know how it goes. Time to get smart. Time to sharpen your mind. Find out uh, why the eye test is the way it is. That's what we're doing. We're confirming the good stuff we're seeing. Today we are talking about Glaber Torres and his hitting lately. He has been in his new his approach, what's different from his rookie campaign. Talking about Chad Green's second pitch. Chad Green doesn't have a second pitch. Well, we're here to tell you that he does. We're going to talk about the 2019 Yankees and their tendency to come back and win games while down. We got a lot of fun stuff. We will get into all of it, but first, let's see how everyone's doing. Katie, how are you? Thank you, Jumboy, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> I am doing a lot better than last week. Uh, hopefully, that's reflected in my voice and, and whatever. But uh, yeah, I think I'm finally turning the corner with that uh, nasty cold that I had, a uh, flu thingy last week. I actually, uh, I actually slept last night, um, which was a minor miracle, and... Um, yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh, you know, last night gave me a little bit of a scare. That we're recording this on Tuesday, so you guys all remember the uh, the epic Monday night game. Um, that was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, get pretty excited to go see this team uh, in London. Well, I'm not going to London, but uh, to see what this whole London thing is about. Yeah. Yeah, we have a weird kind of like upcoming schedule for the Yankees. Two off days. Two games in London, then two off days. It'll be interesting. It's kind of new to the baseball world. Like, this is really a guinea pig experiment. So we'll see. Jake, how are you doing? I'm good, Jim. And yeah, I think it was funny. You and I were having a quick talk the other day about some of the London stuff. And I, I think baseball actually did plan it out. I mean, knock on wood, we'll see everything that happens. But inviting those extra players just in case people got hurt. Like Jimmy and I were like, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> we, we probably would have missed that one on the way by. And I do really like the fact that uh, the Yankees come back. They have a day off. They play six games. And then it's the All-Star break. So I mean, even if those six games are a little troublesome or if we want to start making excuses about rest and traveling to London or whatever it is, um, you you lose that excuse after the All-Star break. So um, a, a little excited for that, a, a little a little interested to see what comes up from it, but uh, otherwise doing generally well. Got got one butter knife ready for baby Glaby, but we'll, uh, we'll see when we get there. I have just a quick thought on this London trip since we're talking about it. Uh, first, Jake, the Sunday game is at 10, 10 in the morning. If we're doing a pregame show, I mean, that's seven in the morning for me. It's five in the morning for you. I mean, that's normally when I'm having my morning tea anyways. So perfect. And then I was thinking they play on the 30th of June, that second game there. Then they have one travel day. The first, then they play the Mets at City Field, the Yankee players are not going to be interested in the Subway Series drama at all. Whereas for the Mets fans, like, it, and usually for the Yankees fans, that's like a bit of gusto to those crosstown rival Subway Series. But in comparison to this whirlwind London trip versus the Red Sox, 
I, I think we might be in for a brutal loss on that first game versus the Mets. Like, could you think oh. of a game that the Mets are going to be so up for it and the Yankees would be like, dude, this is nothing compared to what we just did? Yeah, it's kind of going to be a little bit of <laughs> that- who, who's... Who's who's a who's sloppier at the time, the team coming back from London or just the Mets in general? <laughs> it's it's actually it's a question of whether the Mets will actually be in existence at that point. <laughs> yeah. it, it might they might get disbanded. Uh, uh, they're mean, definitely a black eye right now. Yeah, it's uh, bad, bad, bad yeah. luck. All right, so right now we are in the middle of a series against Toronto. We have a death lineup, and on this game, uh, it, it'll be played by the time you guys are listening to this, but the eighth hitter in this death lineup is Glaber Torres. And I have, to introduce this little conversation, I just wanted to let everyone know, in the month of June, Glaber Torres has a two ninety three batting average, four twenty seven on base percentage. Now we're talking about 18 games in the month of June. A nine sixty one OPS. And the biggest stat I want to make sure people know is that he has zero games against the Baltimore Orioles in June with his 961 OPS, 293 batting average, four home runs in 18 games, and 15 RBIs. But Katie will have much more for us on what he is doing different at the plate this year and who he's become as a hitter in 2019. But he is on a a very torrid pace. Torres on a torrid pace. What do you got for for us on Glaber, Katie? Yeah, I got a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, I think what I re- why I really wanted to talk about him was because he had such a good breakout year last year that people forget like he was so young and that they don't realize that he's actually been even he's been worlds better this year. Um, and it it doesn't always uh, come out, you know. Within you know, he had so many heroics, and last year he was just the the Yankee darling. Um, but he has legitimately improved as a player um, in the ways that you want to see a guy go from his fir- his rookie year to his sophomore year or second year or whatever. Um, and specifically, you know, I'm talking about well, if you if you look at the traditional stuff, you can see he's improved in all of his rate stats. His batting average, his on-base percentage, his slugging, all up. Um, he's reduced his strikeout rate from last year. His walk rate is uh, is up slightly, uh, you know, not up a ton, but he, he's he hasn't he hasn't uh, he hasn't given up on that. Um, and uh, the things that you like to see when a player matures is a for me, it's how does he go do against like breaking pitches off-speed pitches, that kind of stuff. Is he able to, you know, do, do uh, you know, kind of have a better plate discipline, a better approach at the plate? What types of pitches is he actually swinging at? Um, you know, how is he doing two strikes? Whatever. Uh, so that's really what I'm looking at when I try and break him down. Um, and uh, the first thing that I noticed was, holy moly, he's improved against breaking pitches um, and in the right ways. His batting average and his slugging percentage and his WOBA, which we have used on this podcast before, um, we know it's a just a catch-all offensive uh, production metric or whatever you want to say. All of those are up at least fifty percent, at least fifty points. Um, so his batting averages, his slugging percentage, and his WOBA are up at least fifty percent points on on breaking pitches this season. Uh, so, and he went basically from below league average 
to above league average. So if we kind of want to look at just some of those numbers, um, breaking pitches, 283 batting average, 495 slugging, and a 343 WOBA. And the league averages for those are a 221 batting average, a 370 slugging, 77 slugging, and a 279 WOBA. So he is comfortably above league average in all of those categories. And last year, he was his numbers were basically league average. So he went from being league average to probably in the top 25% against breaking pitches. And the other and that matches the eye test because he, he so we have guys where this is novice just me kind of guessing on my eye test. So it was like judge, he guesses breaking ball, he guesses fastball, he gets his A swing off all the time. So your A swing's your biggest swing. Glaber, I think, is the guy on the team who doesn't like his percentage of A swing would be lowest. I don't know if there's a stat for that. There's probably not. But like he will adjust to a breaking ball. You can see that happen mid pitch. And I'm not saying you have to do one or the other. Gary adjusts mid pitch a lot, but like Judge, Stanton, Voigt, they just swing. Like they just get their A swing off and hope that they get the pitch they think they're getting or recognize it off the jump. Where Glaber will like go forward, stop, hitch. So you can really tell that why his approach lends itself good to breaking balls. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest, you know, all those numbers are really great for for improvements, but the best improvement that I've seen from him is he cut his uh, whiff rate, so his swinging strike rate on those pitches, by 10 percentage points. And it went from basically like way below league average. It was a 39% whiff rate, and that's whiffs per swing um, last year. 29% 29% whiff rate on breaking pitches this year, and the league average is 34. So you Whoa. see that leap. Um, you know, that's kind of like the line of demarcation. You know, you go from way below to now comfortably above. Um, so that ability to just make contact on those on those breaking pitches, it really shows, you know, he's he's making the right decisions um, when he wants to swing at a, at a pitch that, that bends and curves and does nasty stuff. Uh, out of the zone. Um, so that's really probably the most important improvement that I've seen like in his mature, you know, sort of his mature approach. Um, the other thing I kind of wanted to point out is that, and you'll see, you see this a lot in sort of the breakout slugging percentage that he's had, this 536 uh, or 539 slugging that he has, which is terrific. Um, and that simply what he's doing is he's just swinging and hunting better pitches. So what he's, he, what he's done is he's increased his swing rate on pitches in the zone uh, from 66% to 74%. It's a really good, you know, you want to swing at pitches in the zone, you want to swing at more of those. And he hasn't increased his swing percentage on pitches out of the zone. So it's not like he's just become this total, like, free swinger. He's, he knows what kind of pitch he wants to swing at. Um, and that's really helped him, I think, um, in terms of his uh, in terms of his slugging, because he is just clobbering pitches in the zone, right in the heart of the zone. So I'm looking at basically meatballs right now, you know, like those pitches right across the right across the middle. Last year, he increased his slugging percentage from last year to this year by about 200 points on those middle middle pitches. Um, 
So he was doing, I mean, he's probably, do, he was doing fine last year on those types, but now he's just, he's zoned in. He knows what type of pitch he can hit. And um, so he's increased that from, it was a 693 slugging, which is good, obviously, because, you know, you get a fat pitch, a meatball, you're going to clobber it. He's slugging 846 on those meatballs uh, this year and swinging at them more often as well. Um, and that's that's what you want to see in a guy, a guy who's, remember, 22 years old, playing at the major league level. Um, he's, uh, he's so young. Yeah, he's so young. Um, so that, uh, and then one other thing I want to just point out is uh, his two-strike approach, because that's really important. Um, and what he's done, he's increased his on-base percentage by 40 points with his two-strike approach. He already has more walks when he has two in two strike counts than he did last year. And we're talking, he's about 200 plate appearances short of last year. Um, and he's reduced his chase percentage in two strikes by about 10 percentage points. So chasing, swinging at less pitches outside the zone with two strikes, taking more walks. He knows what he's doing, you know. He's got this really, really good approach. Um, and I think that that's what you see as he's matured and... The best stat here is he already has more war wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, than he did all of last season. Whoa. Uh, that is something that you want to see. Yeah, That's no, crazy. It's, it's, it's nuts. I, I think a lot of what you're saying, Katie, I mean, it, it sounds like fun stats. He's 22 years old. He's tied for eighth in the American League in home runs right now. Um, he's... He's a a 22-year-old middle infielder that's on pace for mid-30s home runs. And I I, I think something that's been interesting because we kind of, we were drifting into the season and everything was going good for the Yankees. And it's like, yeah, Glaber's doing solid. But some of the stats still seemed off. And I I think a lot of what you said kind of made sense of it, Katie. Like, Glaber had like a 270 batting average. um, I just had in front of me. And he had a 300 on base percentage. I mean, we're talking around, you know, mid-May or so. And it's like, well, uh, Glaber seems like he's been doing well with that. Um, so so I don't know if the adjustment has come a little bit after that or if it was just baseball kind of being baseball and leveling out and uh, and, it, and it coming together. Because it never seemed like Glaber was over chasing or doing anything like that. Um, but But it all really started to come together and... I mean, we really do. We kind of take labor for granted. You you look around at the the judges of the Stantons and now Edwins and Garys, and it's like, oh yeah, Glaber, we're gonna slide him down to eight nine now. We like him down there, and it's like, oh, I mean, talk about spoiled Yankees fan. Jeez. I mean, I have. Just, uh, well, I just want to. I just want to put oh, one ahead. thing in perspective about what Jake said. So we're talking about a twenty two year old here, right? Uh, so Aaron Judge. At age 22, that was his first year as a pro. He was at single A uh, Charleston and got bumped up to high A. If you want to look this year, he would be the youngest player on the Rail Riders roster. Any player. Youngest. (laughs) And he would be the youngest position player on the Trenton Thunder. There's two two pitchers that uh, that are younger than him. Um, Davey. Davey, right? Davey and uh, Roni Garcia. They're two. Oh, two Garcias. Yeah, they're they're probably you know they're two really hot prospects down there, um, 
But yeah, so youngest position player on our double-A team and the youngest player overall on our triple-A team. So Interesting. Yeah, just remember that, folks. All right, Jake, here's my uh, baseball reference, a little dumb trivia of the okay. day. Okay, interested. Glaber Torres has put the 3-1 pitch in play 12 times so far this season. Okay. So four times he took it for ball four. I have no idea how many times he took it or swung and missed or fouled it off to get to 3-2. I don't know. But how many times he put it in play out of 12 times, how many do you think landed for hits? So 12 is including the walks or not including the walks? Not including the walks. 16 plate appearances, 12 at-bats where he put the 3-1 pitch in play. So hitters count, 12 at-bats. We're talking about this for a reason. I'll go nine. Ten times. If Glaber puts the 3-1 pitch in the field of play, he has an 833 batting average. So he's squaring those balls up. I have to check with Katie. Is that good? Uh, let me. Wait, I need to check my calculator. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're just going around. Okay, I got it. Yeah, it's good. It's on my spreadsheet. It's good. That's All good. right. So the next one is a two zero count. Three one two zero. The two biggest hitters counts, right? Arguably. He's put the two zero pitch in play seven times. So I think he's much more selective at swinging at that pitch. And he's only got two hits. Wow. Not as fun. It's a 3-1 pitch. So if Glaber swings at a 3-1 pitch and puts it in play, it's probably a rocket. So root root for 3-1 Glaber. I like that theory. Six of the ten hits are extra base hits. Two doubles, or three doubles, three home runs on 3-1 Glaber. I like that. Um, All right, I've got my... Now that we got Jimmy's trivia, we've got Jakey Butterknife slash... It's 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 so butter knife that it's a just a mini what to watch for I'd say which if you've been watching our pregame shows we thank you, um. I I've got a date for you guys. Okay, G- June seventh. Yeah. Do you okay. know what happened June seventh? Um. Jonathan Holder gave up a home run. <laughs> And that could very well be accurate. <laughs> D-Day plus one. You're close, Jimmy. It was D-D-Day. Oh, okay. oh, well, it was D-Day plus one. That wasn't close. That was spot on. Yes. Um, well, you, if you said, if you put a little more emphasis in the D-D-Day. Um, anyways, D-D Gregorius comes back, and he's the Yankee shortstop. Um, and I, I think we kind of forget that. And, you know, we're we're... Jimmy and I are big Brett Gardner defenders at times, slash just appreciate him for what he is. Um, and Brett Gardner, by the way, since he's his stats from left field this year, I think he's hitting 260, 350 OBP, very Brett Gardner numbers. Anyways, young Glaber Torres, who was asked to be the majority of the shortstop, which if you remember, that wasn't the Yankees' plan coming into the season. Glaber Torres was supposed to split shortstop duties with Troy Tulowitzki, which we can laugh at that a little bit. But in the 14 games since Didi has come back, and Glaber's played two of them at shortstop, or he started two of them at shortstop, um, 14 games, so it is a small sample size, 
But Baby Glaby in that time period has been hitting 311, 448 on base, a 1. OPS, and with a 323 BABIP. So it's not necessarily luck or a hot streak, but I it's as a mini what to watch for. Glaber Torres isn't being asked anymore to be the everyday shortstop for the New York Yankees. And again, when you factor in his age and everything, yes, he played in the minor leagues, but we're talking shortstop for the Yankees. We're talking Jeter. I mean, we're, and now he can go over and play the majority of second base where he did spend most of last year. I think there's potentially a chance that the recent Glaber Torres, we can see kind of a slight tick up in his performance because there is more of a comfort level from second base. I know that's not analytically perfect, but I think there's some, there could be something there. Yeah, but uh, well, this like kind of poo-poo's on that, but he's, he's more comfortable at short. I, I mean, I, what, what's more comfortable, Jim? Like he said, he's more comfortable at short. Right, but he's, he has more major league experience at second. So, I don't know. Right. Many what to watch for. All right, I'm going to end that debate by uh, kind of giving one stat to, to, to sum up, you know, how much we need to really appreciate what, uh, what Glaber is doing this season. Yes. So I looked at, so I looked at you know, Glaber's line. He's, uh, he's got a 120 OPS plus, which is adjusted OPS. So it's basically adjusted for the league, for the era. So you can compare, you know, historically to other guys. Um. And that's 20%. He, actually, he has a 130 OPS, excuse me. So that's about 30% better than league average. Um, that's decent, yeah. And then uh, he has a 539 uh, slugging percentage right now. Uh, we're doing this on Tuesday. And so what I wanted to do is I just kind of wanted to look at middle infielders because, you know, he is a second baseman and he is a shortstop who had that, you know, similar profile at the age of at 22 years or, or younger. So I said, okay, let's, well, let's cut it off at, you know, a 120 OPS and a 520 slugging, you know, just to give them a little bit of a slack. So I looked at all the players who had about 300 plate appearances in their age 22 season or younger. So that's what Glaber's in right now with those marks. And uh, there were three other seasons that came up in my search on baseball reference. One of them was uh, Alex Rodriguez. 1996, Alex yes. Rodriguez, 1998, and uh, Carlos Correa in 2017. So, um, and there's then there's Glaber doing what those guys did, combining OPS plus and you know a really very high, you know, a pretty good, very good slugging percentage with those numbers. So, just remember that, folks. 22 years old. 22 years old. A-Rod, good Carlos Correa. Yeah. I went and looked at how he did in, in certain counts in his, to compare him to his rookie year. He was really bad in hitters counts last year. Hmm. Uh, kind of weird. You know, that's like, what he's doing this year is he's taking advantage of those now. Last year in 3-1 counts, he only had four hits on the entire season. He's got 10 already this year. He had most of his hits on the first or second pitch last year. He was just swinging early, which also goes into what you said about being more patient, right? Growth, yep. yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's hunting for the good pitches. He's not just swinging at the first good one that he, at the, the first one he sees. Yeah. He had his most hits last year on 01 pitches, which seems kind of weird. 
by yeah, a landslide, too. 21 hits on 0-1 pitches. Whatever. All right. Let's go to the other side of the ball. Last week, we asked for this. We said, hey, Chad's slider looked different than it's ever looked a couple games ago. If this stays, we're going to need to look into it. The shape, the depth, all that. He threw it again a couple times yesterday. He's starting the game today, and he might be, throw, might be throwing it again, we hope. We hope that he just had another good opener outing by your time you're listening to this. Katie's got some numbers on his slider. A lot of people say he's just a one-pitch pitcher. I think we're going to say that that's not really that true, right, Katie? Yeah. Um, basically, what I, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, all he does is, you know, just throws his fastball and tries to get it past people, and, you know, he's really good at it, and it's, and it's a good weapon for him. Um, but his slider is actually a really legit slider. Uh, and I'm comparing it to just against right-handers, um, right-handed batters, and I'm comparing him to other right-handed pitchers against right-handed batters. Um, because, I mean, he really shouldn't be throwing against lefties. It's, it's just been a disaster this season. He doesn't throw that many. He's thrown about, I think, 30 of them to lefties. But it's like a homer, like a couple doubles, a couple singles, yeah. um, you know, one strikeout or something. So... Um, I'm just going to want to focus on, you know, and that's what a slider is. A slider is to get out same-sided, um, you know, same-sided uh, batters. Um, so uh, I looked at his slider, and I just looked at it for the entire season because, frankly, it really, you know, it's such a small sample when you're just looking at sliders against right-handed batters already um, that I wanted to make sure that, there, you know, we're getting a good, good sample there. And it really hasn't changed much before and after. Um, the recall. So I'm just looking at the mm. entire season of sliders that he's thrown to right-handed batters. Um, and just a couple metrics that I like to look at um, in terms of like how effective is the slider. So the first one you want to look at is, is whiff rate, right? How many whiffs is he getting per swing? I mean, that's, that's the true, that's the true definition of a wipe, you know, a dominant pitch. So right now his, uh, his whiff rate, for sliders against right-handed batters this season, it's 48%. 48%. So about half of the time a guy's a righty swings at his slider, he's missing. Is that good? What are, yeah. What's like the average whiff rate? Yeah, so the average whiff rate, um, you know, with for right-handed batters against right-handed pitcher sliders is 37%. Um, so, yeah. He's oh, so that's really good. Really then. good. So more than 10 percentage points better than the average. Then the other thing you kind of want to look at is he, is he getting guys because it's a good slider. What it does is it gets guys to to chase pitches off his, out of the zone, right? You want to be able to get strikes out of the zone with your slider. Um, so he's got a forty percent chase rate on his slider against righties. The league average is thirty four percent. Again, awesome. You know, better than league average. Uh, then the other thing I looked at was you know. What kind of contact is he getting? The quality of contact, right? We talk a lot about that with our stat cast mm -hmm. stuff. So the catch-all sort of thing for, for quality of contact is what we call expected WOBA. Um, and that just basically is your WOBA based on the, uh, the average exit velocity and the launch angle and stuff um, on those batted balls. So he's got a 217 expected WOBA on uh, sliders to righties. The league average is 266. So again, way better than the league average with his slider on that. 
And then finally, just kind of looking at results, you know, like, fine, you can have all this other good stuff, you know, the peripherals, but is he getting it done? Is he getting the job done? And his WOBA on that slider to righties is a 204 WOBA, and the league average um, in this set is 273. So again, like, this slider is legitimate. Um, And, you know, people that say that he doesn't have a second pitch, you know, like, he can only get guys out with his fastball, that's just, like, you know, that's pretty wrong. Uh, And the reason I think that people don't, he doesn't get as much recognition for it, is because it doesn't look silly like Adam Adovino's slider, you know? It's not one of those silly pitches with like that darts across, you know, like a Bugs Bunny slider or whatever that darts across the plate um, and has tons of movement or, or whatever, or breaks way down. Um, because I looked at some of the stuff and it's like his vertical movement is like league average. The horizontal movement on it is basically like league average. Um, and uh, the spin rate, you know, below league average, but like spin rate doesn't really matter for a slider. Um, the one thing that is good is that, you know, and one thing that you really want for a slider is to have about a five to nine mile per hour difference in the velocity with your four seamer just to get that separation. And that's what he has. He's got a nine mile per hour difference with his slider. So he throws the harder slider. Um, you know, it's not as hard as Jacob deGrom's or whatever. It's, uh, I looked at some comps and probably the biggest comp is, is John Gray slider on the Rockies. Who, okay. He's got it. I mean, and he his slider is pretty well known as a really good slider. He throws it more than more than Chad Green, obviously, um, because that's he's his, fighting the air in Colorado. Yeah, he's he's not doing so well. I mean, he's he's got I think a sub four ERA, but he's not great. But his slider is, is a legit weapon, and and Chad Green's in terms of the movement and the velocity and stuff like that, um, it looks similar to what his does, um, and that's perfectly perfect when you pair it with his fastball that's rising. Um, and that he throws super hard. Uh, I wonder how much his slider needs the fastball. You know what I mean? Like, because it seems like if he can't locate his, fa- if his fastball is no longer a weapon, then it seems like nothing's a weapon when he ha- was struggling earlier. Yeah, so, I, th- I think that that's that's true. It's like it plays off of his fastball because it doesn't have a ton of movement. Like it's not a, like an Adamantino slider who the yeah. guy could just throw it because it just. It's silly, you know, um, but the fact that it plays off his fastball uh, in terms of the movement and, um, you know, the, the speed as well. And I think what really separates him in terms of his sliders, he locates it really, really well. Like a lot of guys, they try and just get like silly pitches in the dirt and, you know, way out of the zone because they can because of the movement, you know. It looks like it's going straight, and then, like, the last second, it goes, like, seven inches off the plate. But what Chad does with his sliders, because it doesn't have that much movement, is he's able to locate it right... He's able to locate it just on the edges of the of the plate and just off of it. So in that, like, right on the black, if you kind of look at a, a heat map of his slider, you're going to see a lot in what we like to call, like, the shadow and the chase zones, which is basically right on the black and just off of the black. And he does that at a better rate than the league average. Um, and uh, he actually pitches sort of a way more to right-handed batters. So what he's done is he's just kind of like perfecting the perfect location for his slider. 
um, and getting people to swing there because it's not way off the plate. So his swing percentage on his sliders out of the zone is a lot higher than the league average. Um, and he, and he gets whiffs on those pitches too. Um, so yeah. it's, it's kind of the ideal mix in just like perfect location and just playing right off of that fastball as a, as yeah. a change of pace. When he, when he faces lefties, I mean, he, he was messing around with the changeup for a little bit. I haven't seen yeah. it in a while. It's kind of gone. Uh, but when he faces lefties, he just tries to hit that low outside spot with his fastball, like over yeah. and because he doesn't throw the slider. It's kind of fun game to watch Chad face a lefty, knowing he's only going to throw one pitch. Yeah, like, and he should because I looked at his his sliders to lefties, and like pretty much half of them are in the heart of, are basically in the center of the zone. Um, Jake, wasn't there a pitcher that we were talking about in our the Talking Yanks chat? A couple months ago, who had never thrown his slider to a lefty once, and he was in the league. It's like a, a known pitcher. No, it was. Uh, it's Snell. Snell doesn't throw his changeup to lefties. Yes, as he, a lefty, he doesn't need to. <laughs> yeah, well, and it feeds into their swing more, like Chad right. to a righty, because they're <laughs> the same hand side. But yeah, it's usually sliders to sliders to the opposite batter, changeups to the same batter. Yep, but. I don't. I'm not saying Chad should get his changeup going, but like it, that was funny to me. Snell has never thrown a ch- his changeup to a lefty batter. I mean, he's probably not bizarre. comfortable doing it. Like for a lot of guys, it's yeah. comfort because they know mm-hmm. how much it moves and they know the way that, that it moves normally. And I mean, it's like with Chad's. Like if he throws it to a lefty, it's basically just going right in his wheelhouse because of the movement that it has. Um, yeah. And he's not able to, you know, to backdoor it or, or whatever. Um, so, and th- I mean, that's the thing when he pitches to righties, when he throws his slider to righties, it goes in the heart of the zone, right in the center of the zone, only 15% of the time. And the league average for sliders is like thrown about 25% of the time in the heart of the zone. So, I mean, obviously not a lot, but he's way below the average in avoiding that sweet spot for hitters with his slider to righties. Um, I think so that's, it's, I think that's really interesting, Katie, because I, Jimmy, I know you've actually shown this on on your Twitter sphere a few times that Chad's location isn't always pinpoint with his fastball, even the good Chad we've seen lately, and that's not problematic for him because his fastball's dirty. So I think it's pretty interesting that his slider, his accuracy with his slider, has been what ten percent better than league average, or yeah, or, I mean across all the metrics in terms of getting it on the edges and avoiding the heart of the zone, he's about 5 to 10% better than the league average in those. Um, and I think, and like I said, like he needs it because it's it's not a silly one like Adebanovino's. Um, he needs and that I, location. Yeah. I, I've, I've got one, one kind of curious thing and one just straight odd thing. Chad, we've we mentioned his fastball's dominance. Do we have stats year over year with his slider or anything like that? I mean... Yeah, I mean, like, I looked at his slider, his, like, last year against righties. It was horrible. I mean, but he was horrible last year with everybody. Um, and uh, it's You mean actually, earlier this year or last year? I was talking about last year. But he was still pretty good last year. Yeah, I mean, but last year he he struggled more than he did, I mean, in 2017. In 2017 was, was, like, li- lights out. Yeah, so it's it's actually... Yeah pretty comparable to what he did in 2017 with his slider slider 
So he's okay. shown this before. It's not like a new pitch or anything. So um, so he's kind of like back to his 2017 form with his slider. Okay, uh, and then my my last that makes sense. It, it's not it's not weird, but uh, my comparison is weird because that's normally how it works. There's an ideal hurdler in track. Like I think six one is the ideal height for someone who hurdles in track because just scientifically that's what allows your body to move that fast. Is the slider thing the four four or five miles per hour from fastball to slider? Has that been defined by all the baseball analytics as what would be considered the best slider off of your fastball? I I, I find that interesting. I didn't I didn't know yeah. if that was official or if it's guy to guy or what. Yeah, so like ideally you want like I said about 5 to 9 5 to 9 miles per hour fat um slower than your fastball just to get that separation because um you know a lot of it's it's you know you need to have that change of speed I guess because it's coming out it could it can come into the plate at the same time I guess you know at the same kind of the same height and stuff but right. um but yeah that's kind of what's been proven to get the best results uh, from, you know, yeah, you always know that a change up, you want like a 10 yeah. mile per hour yeah. difference. I never knew. I never, I mean, it makes so much sense that you're like, yeah, slider should be five. Right. It's, or, I, guess, I guess what, what was the mental hurdle for me? Wow. Was, um, that, you know, if you saw someone that threw a 96 mile per hour fastball and their slider was 93, you'd be like, wow, they can still really twirl their slider. But I, I bet there's teams that probably coach guys down from that a little bit to to try to throw it. If your fastball is 96, throw your slider 90 or something like that because that would, in theory, have a greater effect. Yeah, because you Tanaka's need that. kind of a... Tanaka's a pretty hard slider, too. His slider's like around 84. Yeah. His, Tanaka's wild because his fastball is like 92. His splitter is around 87. His slider's around 84. So he's like, like there's no big, there, he's just got notches on every rung. His curveball's 77. Yeah, I mean, for Tanaka, it's like basically like he throws so many pitches that, I mean, I think that the, the separation isn't like, you know, as important because nobody just knows what he's going to throw because he can throw yeah. so many. But when you have a guy that's like a two-pitch pitcher or reliever like like Chad Green, he needs to have that separation um, because he's not going to get much deception otherwise. Then Ottavino, is, his is like five miles per hour, but the movement, <laughs> the movement. is really <laughs> He's got ridiculous. His <laughs> movement, he's got 18 inches of horizontal movement. The outlier. And like Chad Green has about... I think it's three, three and a half or four, which is basically average. <laughs> so, That's yeah. funny. Cool. Jake, what's the next thing we're talking about? La well, I was going to say lastly, but we do have a KT Sharp stat of the day waiting for you that will come lastly. Um, I think first we want to talk about, and, and this is kind of a fun one, I, I, it ties to a lot of what we've been talking about with this team with a different mentality, but, Katie, the Yanks have been great at coming from behind this year, and uh, I, I don't know if there's sample size stuff there or if we want to chalk it up to team mentality or if it's team mentality and managing to win some more games. As we all know, we got pretty frustrated with, uh, well, we're down two, let's punt it uh, from last season. But the, the Yanks have been great at, at it this year, and what 
I mean, what should we be attributing that to Katie and, and can we expect that going forward? Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's not a small sample. I don't think at this point, I mean, we we're you know, we're almost halfway through the season. So I like to think that this is something that's, that they've, that they've become used to, you know, they've got this confidence now, um, that they can come back to win a lot of games and just some of the numbers to put this into perspective, um, when people, I mean, I get people on Twitter being like, oh, these Yankees, they never come back. Like, how many times, you know, do we never get the lead or whatever? Um, and uh, so right now, they are 23 and 28 in games um, in which their opponent had a lead at any point. This is what this is kind of the metric that I'm going to use for comebacks. Um, okay. Because when you look at it, like, after such and such inning and after another inning, it's just, it's way too small of a sample. So we're just going to kind of look at all games in which the the, uh, the opponent had a lead. So they are 23 and 28. That's a 451 winning percentage, which uh, doesn't sound great, but it's actually the second best in the majors right now. Um, and the top three are who you would think are really good teams, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros. Those are the top three in winning percentage, you know, in games when they their opponent takes a lead. Uh, so this is definitely a trait of really good teams. Um, so I wanted to kind of look at historically, you know, what kind of teams do this. So I went back and I looked at last year, top three teams, Red Sox, Astros, Cubs. Those teams are, were really good last year. Yep. The Yankees, unfortunately, they were seventh last year in this. So this is a change from last year. I don't know. What type, I mean, I really didn't dig into like, you know, what they're doing better or it's, you know, it's manager, managing or, or whatever. But all I know is that this is a trait of good teams and the Yankees are better at it this year and they are the second best in the majors. Um, and then I, so I went back and I looked at, you know, I got, I had this data going back to, uh, to 2004. That's about, that's all I could get right now. Um, so I went back and looked at all of the, the best teams in this metric for a whole season in terms of, uh, you know, winning percentage when uh, the opponent takes the lead in the game. And there's, there's only one team that actually won half of their games in this situation. And that was the, uh, in this sample, going back all the way to 2004. That was the 2004 Yankees. So they won exactly half of their games in this season. Wow. So. In, in in that season, um, you know, whatever, the comeback stuff. So then, so I looked at the top ones. So the 2004 Yankees, they were the top. They, uh, you know, we know what they did. They, they lost in the ALCS, but they won 101 games. Decent season. Second team on that list, the Red Sox from last year. Decent team. Won the World Series, 108 wins. Yep. Third team on that list, 2009 Yankees. Again, not bad. I mean, 103 yeah. wins, another World Series <laughs> winner. Then fourth was the 2017 Dodgers. 104 wins, unfortunately lost in the World Series, but, you know. Got they to were, the dance. They were okay, I'd say. And then the, uh, the fifth team on this list was the 2004 Cardinals. Again, you know. Decent. They won 105 games. Not bad. Unfortunately, they lost in the World Series to that other team. But um, mm. 
So, so yeah, so those are the top five teams in win percentage when the opponent takes the lead going back to uh, 2004. So if you're high in this stat, it's a pretty good thing. So I think this is something that I actually am encouraged by this season. And uh, I hope that, you know, they can continue this streak because I think it's a really good side. Yeah. Well, um, I saw a really interesting stat. So you said you're, you're telling us stats here that um, – hold on. I'm trying to collect my thoughts. It's like the Yankees are really good at this and good teams are good at this. Yes. Right? So I, I saw an interesting stat that was – this was on um, the uh, Yankee subreddit. DJ Rob posted it, so I'll give him credit because this is where I saw it. The Yankees have the fifth fewest runners left on base in the entire MLB this season, which you think would be consistent with good teams, but it's the complete opposite. It's consistent with really bad teams. It's a complete anomaly that a first-place team has a few runners left on base, which is just kind of what we were trying to say all of last year when the Yankees led the league in runners on base and people acted like it was a bad thing. It's because you get a lot of runners on base when you're a good team. So right now, like it's crazy how they're scoring everyone they get on base. It's so weird. The top teams right now at, uh, at leaving the best at not leaving runners on base, I guess you would say, is the San Francisco Giants, bad team. The Padres currently in fourth place. The Blue Jays, bad team in fourth place. And the Reds in fourth place. And then the Yankees in the top five. Yeah. I mean, that's why you have to look at it in perspective. You got to say, okay, well, like, fine, that's like a raw number. But what's the rate, you know? That's what you, I mean, and that's the same thing with this comeback stat that I showed is I looked at the rate that teams are coming back because, you know, there are teams that have more comeback wins. You know, a lot of people say, oh, who's the leader in comeback wins? Well, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to get more wins, obviously, if you are get falling behind in every game, right? Yep. Um, the, so, the three teams that uh, lead the league in runners left on base right now, the Tampa Bay Rays, good. the Dodgers, and the Red Sox. But, yeah, that's why, like, Boone always says traffic. You want traffic. Yeah. But that kind of scares me with how well, much of an anomaly it is that the Yankees are in first place and cleaning up the bases like crazy. Yeah, it's it's a it's you know it's a question of you know is that rate sustainable? Like the way yeah, that's kind of like you know we all love the fact that they had this really high batting average and run, with runners in scoring position and bases loaded and whatnot. Um, and but the scary part is that you know you got to maintain that for the rest of the season because. That is what is clearing those bases right now for us. I, I think the uh, uh, when it comes to stranding runners on base, I think you gotta create turns into a create your own yogiism. You gotta you gotta put men on base to leave men on base. Like that's <laughs> that's that's exactly what that was. Um, Katie, I I I, I love that the, the comeback stats because that was when when you reached out, I was curious. Because, I mean, that seems like a good winning team trait, right? Yeah. The never give up, the come back and win games. And it's, uh, it really, and it's so funny. I, I think you, you said the Yankees were seventh in that last year. Yes. And I, I think, and, and maybe it's just a mental attitude or maybe it is just being that much better. But 
it, it has felt totally different this year. You you go down. I mean, even if we go down four runs early, you're like, well, we're we're gonna get a bloop and a blast at some point, and then hey, we're probably gonna get another one too. So, uh, it it has been a really refreshing part of this season, and uh, we haven't had too many. And uh, not to throw our guy under the bus, but uh, we haven't had too many Chase and Shreve moments this year where it's like, please use somebody else, Booney. <laughs> well, we have with Holder. Well, yeah, but that's uh, he gone. I think that got to the same point as Shreve last year. Yeah. I don't know. We were all over Shreve last year. I think, I think Holder is, from the way that my mentions are, were looking last night. It, oh, from the mentions, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're, we're also I think spoiled we got this to the season. Same place. We're also spoiled this season. Difference is Holder has options. Yeah, yeah Shreve. Shreve didn't. All right, Katie, I think it's time for... The Sharpest Stat. I like that. What do you got? I like that drum roll. That's good. All right, setting me up here. Um, So my Sharpest Stat of the Week is on our beloved CeCe Sabathia. Because the big lefty, not only did he pitch a great game on Monday... Um, but he reached the magical number of 250 wins, uh, I believe it was like last week, uh, sometime. So, you know, I just wanted to give some love to, to CC. Uh, we all know what the 250 wins means. We know that he reached, uh, 3000 strikeouts as well a couple weeks ago. Um, and combined, you know, 250 wins, 3000 strikeouts, 14 guys have done that. Um, but I kind of wanted to to just focus a little bit more and kind of put him into a little bit more of an exclusive group because of what he's done beyond just like strikeouts and wins. You know, those are great. But I wanted to look at, say, hey, was he ever like one of the best players, right? You know, that's kind of one of those considerations of a, yeah. of a, of a really good career. 250 wins, 3,000 strikeouts. Yeah, okay, he pitched a long time, right? A lot of, you know, not a lot of guys, but like that's a that's a sign of longevity and being great. But I wanted to be like, is he been great and has he been really great? So I decided to look at guys with, you know, those wins, 250 wins, 3000 strikeouts who also won a Cy Young and who also were a postseason MVP. So either in the uh the LCS or in the World Series because those are guys that A you know, they performed for an entire year. They were the best at their position. And during the postseason, they were the best uh, in that year. And there are three guys that meet this criteria. So 250 wins, 3,000 strikeouts, a Cy Young, and a postseason MVP award. One of them, CeCe Sabathia, we know. Randy Johnson, I've heard of him. And Bob Gibson, also heard of him. So those three guys and CC, or those two guys and CC in that club. Wow, that's a pretty good list. That's your sharp stat of the week. Whew. Yeah, and I, I I love that, Katie, because I I I don't know. Sometimes I do get a little bit of the fan blinders on, but my initial reaction was, yeah, CC's a Hall of Famer. Um, then when they officially showed us that strikeout list, the three lefties that have ever had 3,000 strikeouts, you're like, yes. 
Um, the one Cy Young was big for me because you you do want to walk away saying that for one year they were the best at it. Um, and I mean, he he does have the decade of excellence, which is my other thing. The the only thing that kind of held me up a little bit was I, I saw that CC was only a six-time All-Star, which surprised me a little bit just because he was around for so long and so good at it. But my, my counterpart, James, across from us, is now on a warpath to almost eliminate All-Star games from any consideration, and rightfully so to a degree. Um, Unless they make the voting real, right. not fan votes. Right. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. I don't put a lot of stock into... All-star appearances, it's it's great. It's great for the fans, but I mean, like... I Dylan mean, Batanzas eventually... was an all-star in 2017. He was basically non-existent in all of August and September and then didn't get any run in the playoffs. Like, it, 2017 was a kind of a not the best year for Dylan, but you can be like, he was an all-star that year, and he's like, well, okay, he had a good first half. And yeah. there's just so many players like that. And the, with all the injury replacements and then, you know, the, the starters, they can't go if they... They can't pitch if they pitched on Sunday and all those restrictions. Uh, it ends up that like a lot of guys become all stars uh, in terms I, of the roster. I, I don't know when I when I'm an old an old man that sits at a deli and just yells Yankee facts at people as they come in and out. Um, I'm going to be talking about CC Sabathia in his little stint in Milwaukee because that was one of the crazier things I have seen on a baseball field. If if you didn't know. 2008, he gets traded Cleveland to Milwaukee. He starts 17 games in a short time period, 130 innings, seven complete games. They were pitching him on three days rest, 1.65 ERA, going into a contract year. I don't think you'll ever see a player do anything like that again. So that's just a little CC swoon to get off off my chest. Nice. All right. I think that about closes out the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening, tuning in. Give it a five-star review and rating if you'd like. Tweet at Katie. Always tweet at Katie. Always tweet at Katie. Yeah. Any last words, you guys? Let's go, Yanks. Go, Yanks. Jake? She nailed it. She nailed it. All right. Tell them, Grams. Go, Yankees.